He's had eight days for the dust to settle on what in all his glorious career as an owner, breeder, jockey, trainer in racing um, cannot ever be surpassed, watching his son Sam win the Grand National on his own noble Yates. Um, Robert Whaley-Cohen, welcome. Thank you very much. What a very special day it was. And we will luxuriate over it. But I cannot, I cannot bring you onto this sofa a minute after we've been talking about a five-day Cheltenham Festival without asking as the former chairman of Cheltenham, and not so long ago either, whether you think it's a good idea. I think it's absolutely right to consider whether it should or not be more days or move from, as you suggested earlier, from Wednesday to Saturday. Uh, and want to review that. What I'd rather hope to get uh, was a proper pros and cons all set out. This is the benefits of doing this, this is the disadvantage of doing that, this is the financial advantage, this is the benefit to racing. The Jockey Club's Royal Charter is, says everything it does has to be for the greater good of British racing, so what we do has to be for that purpose, not just to make more money, but more money, of course, does, as Ian says, go back into racing in one form or another. Um, but it has to have real purpose, and we've always looked at how many horses rated over 140, which puts them in the top 10% of all the horses in racing, uh, don't come. Which don't come? Why don't they come? Do they come because don't come because they won't go left-handed, or because they've got to go on a flat track, or they want a two and a half mile hurdle race and there isn't one? So, what is the reason they don't come, and how many are there? Uh, so, could you really fill? Uh, a fifth day? Is there any point in filling a fifth day? Is it essential to have a Saturday? I'd like to see all the pros and cons, commercial uh, and, uh, and, 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 and for the better good of racing. Do you have a rough idea about how much a fifth day would generate extra? Uh, in my view, I think one's betting the farm on it, but uh, no, I don't, is the answer. I don't, think it, I don't necessarily think it'll generate any more money. Really? It's going to be hugely expensive to put on. Uh, think of all the staff you've got to get and a lot of people who won't come and the competition for television and all. There's a whole lot of cons as well as pros. So I'm sensing from what you're saying that given your fairly in-depth knowledge of the place, you wouldn't be in favour of it. I think uh, on the information I have at the moment, I wouldn't be in favour. But I think, there are, I think there's, a, there's a lot of information that's still missing, which is why I think we should get a... Before we get asked to make a decision as a, as a jockey club, and I hope it is made by the jockey club and not by the executive, mm. uh, we should get all the facts and all the figures of all the pluses and all the minuses. Um, but I have to say, when we used to look and see which horses didn't come, uh, we used to think there were really very few. And when we used to look and say, what would happen if we had a really wet time to the car parks, to the racing surface, uh, and all that kind of stuff. So on the whole, I, my, I, I don't saw a fifth day is a good idea, but maybe moving on, shifting, as you suggested, from Wednesday to Saturday is a good day. But we're already sold out. So you're appealing to a slightly different crowd. Though I have to say, there seems to be an awful lot of young there. If you ever go to the Guinness Village on, 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 on any day, it's mm. at, perhaps not Wednesday this year when it was pouring with rain, but generally it's absolutely packed. Mm. It's, it, it's, it's a debate that is, is going to run and run. There's no doubt about that. And I do, I, I do want to talk about you and about Sam and about the Grand National in particular. Um, but, you know, just... Just one final thing. I was talking to Ian there. What, what year did you become chairman at Cheltenham? I became chairman, God, that's a good question, 2011. 2011. Immediately, and after, immediately after we won the Gold Cup. I mean, literally the same, next day. Yeah. And, and you were there for? I was there for eight festivals. Eight festivals. And so, actually, in all your time there, people were, were as I said earlier, banging on, talking about... Absolutely. A, a it's a proper debate. So who was... Who, 
Who is pushing for it? I, that's what I want to know. I don't think anyone's pushing for it. I think it's one of those things you look at and say, should we or shouldn't we? Is it a good idea? Is it not a good idea? Yeah. Um, I think we've got a fantastic uh, four-day festival that works outstandingly well. Uh, and I think we're being very naive if we don't think we'll go to seven races instead of six. I don't think there's no festival anywhere that's stuck with six. It may have started with six, uh, but it very rapidly mm. went to seven. And lots of, uh, there are lots of reasons for the seven being a good idea. Would you like a four-day entry? I bet you would, wouldn't you? <laughs> I think entry is a fantastic festival. It's completely different, different crowd, different racing, um, attacks uh, to a certain extent slightly different horses, particularly as it's quite close to Punchestown. And the, uh, the Irish don't come and compete quite so aggressively as they do at Cheltenham. Um, having said which, uh, we, we watched uh, J.P. McManus win the five grade ones yeah. at Cheltenham. Uh, at, at, at entry, I'm sorry. Exactly. Um, so uh, they don't exactly ignore it either. If you needed reminding of why Aintree might, at this point in time, be uppermost in Robert Whaley Cohen's affections. can have been few prouder moments in sport, never mind uh, horse racing. Robert Whaley-Cohen and son Sam celebrating the victory of Noble Yates last week. Robert, there have been so many, so many special days, so many days suffused with such significance. But did you ever, did you ever imagine that this was one that couldn't really happen? It was too much of a... <laughs> It was too much of a dream. It, 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 you, you could not make it up, as Sam said. I mean, you just could. You say, for somebody to, uh, a, uh, to have a full-time job, to ride about 30 races under rules in a year, uh, to say on the Thursday that whatever happens next, uh, he's going to retire after the Grand National, and then to go and win it, it's not imaginable. You couldn't write it. What came through to me so strongly is, and I, kn I know we, we all love our children, you, you have immense love for your children, but um, your absolute admiration for for Sam as a, a, a as, as a man as well as a as well as a well writer. he 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 fills um, every minute with sixty seconds and every hour with sixty minutes. I mean he's he he really does pack everything in he possibly can, uh, and is incredibly dedicated to everything he undertakes. Uh, and for that, I, for those of us who like being a bit more idle, I have full admiration. And has he always been like that? Has he always been like that? Yeah. I think he pretty much... I think he's been... It's hard to know whether he's always been like that, but he's always had a huge curiosity and a huge joy out of life. Uh, and I think that really helps one all the way through. But, I mean, he's obviously been 
as we all have, massively influenced by, by our losing uh, Thomas in, in 2004, and saying, actually, in relation to everything else that's going on in our lives, that is so, make the most of it. Mm. That, then everything else is relatively unimportant. Make the most of the time you have. Um, Robert, Roger Varian was, was talking earlier on about the way a, a family tragedy can draw you together, can bind you together, and you either get stronger for it or you recoil from it. Clearly for all of you, um, you, you harness that strength very positively. I, I think he was an absolute inspiration for us. I mean, he always was a sort of conscious that, he, that time was short and you just had to get on with things. Um, and it was no good saying, uh, uh, funny enough, at his memorial service, one of his contemporaries said, uh, wouldn't it be nice one day? Uh, he said uh, they'd had a chat as, as schoolboys at school saying, wouldn't it be fun to go and see Barcelona play Real Madrid in Spain? And uh, sort of chatting about it, what would be great to see a fantastic football match. About three days later, Thomas came and said, right, I've got four tickets. These are the flights. This is where we're going. Get some money off your parents because this is what it's going to cost. And they all said, well, we were just sort of jostling. He said, well, either you're serious and we're going to do it or you're just insincere. Uh, life is short. Let's go and do it. It's all sorted. And that was his approach to life. And I think that's been a guide to all of us. And do you, do you feel that from, from the moment that, that Thomas died, do you feel that um, you and, and particularly Sam with his riding just sort of almost picked up that mantle and said, right, my, my, my whole outlook on life is just slightly different now. No, I don't think that would be fair. I, I, think, I think what's really fair is to say, if you're going to do this, do it properly. Mm -hmm. Don't play around the fringes. Do, do, it, do it well or don't attempt it. And for you, as somebody with the, you know, you had the, the financial ability to, to go out and buy really nice horses for, for Sam to ride, was there ever a a scintilla of doubt in your mind that he was the right man to, to run? No, I thought he... I, uh, no, for, 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 for various reasons. Firstly, uh, I know he has the right talent, uh, and uh, which he pro, pro, proved, I'm not sure I can speak today, proved over and over again. Um, and uh, sure, he was learning as he went along. Um, and and he, yes, he was lucky to get on some nice horses, but actually, down at the start, it doesn't matter what sex you are, what religion you are, what colour you are, you're you and the horse, and you have to go and deliver. Um, even if you're on a good horse, you still have to deliver as a jockey. Uh, and uh, Sam always did. What do you think, apart from providing the actual raw materials, what do you think your role has been in this story? Oh, that's a very tricky question, which I have no idea what the answer is. I think always being supportive of, of Sam, always sort of plotting and planning and seizing opportunities when they came along. Uh, and... Uh, uh, endlessly trying to make sure everything goes right. And what you don't hear about is, all, of course, all the things mm. that didn't go right. You only see the highlights of what makes the television. You don't hear about the horse we tried to do something with that didn't turn out to be very good or had some major physical problem. That's all uh, hidden away. Tell me a little bit about your own start in the, in the sport, Robert, because you've been involved for as long as... As, as most of us can remember. Uh, well, I think probably it started long before you were born, sir. Uh, the, uh, well, I have to say, uh, the, the, the first time I did anything, when I first had a horse, which was, uh, we, we all, all began when I worked for Christie's in America, and I didn't ride for a long time, as I lived in the middle of Manhattan, uh, and I'd ridden all my life, because I was brought up on Exmoor, where riding was sort of the activity mm. that you did, because we were miles from anywhere, there was nothing else to do. Um, was uh, to go timber racing in America, which I hugely enjoyed, and then came back and got point-to-pointing. And for any amateur, what you then 
aim for, if unless you're someone like Sam, is to say, can I get to Cheltenham and can I get to Aintree? Uh, so rather surprisingly, I found myself on a horse trained by George Peter Hoblin at Manton a very long time ago, uh, riding in the Fox Hunters run by a certain N.J. Henderson <laughs> riding Happy Warrior in 1977. But what was interesting in terms of those who were worried about amateur racing was uh, um, the, the second place horse was ridden by a certain Peter Greenall, now Lord Darsbury. Um, and I was on the uh, Boots Madden had the third, I was on the fourth, Andrew Waits was on the fifth, Joey Newton was further back. All of us have played yeah. quite big roles in racing, That's which we might not have done if we had not been able to participate and enjoy it. And there is, a, there is a clear point to be made there, which is the extent to which you are concerned about the diminution of amateur, amateur racing for that very reason. I think it's really important to keep, uh, make it possible for amateurs to participate. <laughs> and uh, are you worried that that's just being chipped away at? Yeah, in a word, yes. I mean, point-to-pointing uh, has certainly struggled uh, with, with the numbers of participants since, uh, uh, well, possibly since foot and mouth, but certainly since COVID. Mm -hmm. uh, and um, uh, the number of opportunities to go hunter chasing has been diminished. I, and, and I just think it's a, it, it, is a, it is an anxiety. Uh, and you say that from a, a position not only as someone who's you know, owned horses of, of great repute and a, have been a... Um, a significant administrator in the sport, but also someone who week in, week out, is sending horses out from your stable to go point to pointing, as you did yesterday at Chattersley Corbett, to 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 to, to, to great heraldry. Well, that, that, yesterday was was a great day. It was really weird to have to book a jockey. Mm. I'd never. So James uh, King won. James, didn't he? James King won on on, on on a homebred horse of ours. Um, and to win to win the uh, Lady Dudley Cup, which is mm -hmm. the biggest point-to-point -point race, certainly the most valuable, and it's got the most enormous cup dating back to the 1920s. Um, so that was an enormous pleasure, and there was a huge crowd there, but there was a shortage of horses. Uh, and I think there were an awful lot of meetings over Easter. Um, but, I mean, it was... Uh, um, uh, it makes you worried that there aren't enough horses running, there aren't enough jockeys coming forward. And a lot of the people who start there end up being either professional jockeys or trainers or going on into the professional world down the line, and they start off slightly outside the sort of public domain where they can, they are riding in public, but they're not all over national television with no off-track betting. Um, and then they go on to do distinguished and greater things as, as time goes on. And of course that, that cry, where are all the horses, is one that we hear an awful lot at the moment, not just in, in point to pointing, but obviously in, on the flat and over jumps and at the Cheltenham Festival where they have four runners in one novice chase and five in the other. Um, it all ties in, everything we've been talking about, doesn't it? How would you, as someone who's a, uh, been a you know, senior figure in owning and breeding horses and sat on any number of committees, I've sat on one or two of them with you, um, how would you suggest that we we make we, we make a more robust and sustainable horse population in in the UK to serve the fixture list that we've got, or do we just take the fixture list down to serve the horse population we've got? Uh, that is a, there's a certain logic to that um, in, in not having so much racing that you could, everything could be spread around and there aren't enough horses for every race. Um, but as, as you recall, we, we during the uh, um, earlier period, there was a moment when they said there simply aren't enough horses, and I, we pointed out to them as, at a time when you and I were both involved with the Thoroughbred Breeders Association, that actually there were a huge number of horses who'd never raced, who were sitting in a field, and they were just the females of the species, yeah. uh, and fillies weren't being taken to race, and it's still a tiny percentage, because uh, only 25% of all the fillies born actually make it to the race course. Um, and there's now there's been a huge promotion in the UK to get 
mayors racing, and I think the introduction of three races at the Cheltenham Festival mm. we were talking about earlier well, has actually had a really good effect because uh, you could talk to some trainers who said, oh, I've never had a filly, they're more tricky to train, they go off in the spring, but I can't be champion trainer unless I've got a filly, and there's three races at the festival, I can't win unless I have a filly. And there's one or two trainers now saying, uh, I'll only buy a filly uh, that's qualif qualified for the uh, Great British Bonus, named to its friends as well, actually as GBB. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and that's had a huge impact on the, on the price of the fillies, therefore the economics of producing them and the desirability of racing them. And I'm rather hoping in order to boost the British breeding that actually the same is introduced for geldings as well as fillies. Of course, you, you give with one hand and you take away with the other because there will be a lot of people who justifiably say, well, hang on a minute, these mares only races at the Cheltenham Festival. They're not the most competitive. They're not necessarily the most stimulating. What would you say to that? Uh, I think they enjoy the racing as much as I do. <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think the mares are incredibly competitive. And you ask the owners of Annie Power or the owners of Epitante or the owners of Honeysuckle whether they're not competitive. I think they say, I think you'll find but they But they, they were winning against Geldings. They also won against Phillies. And if I, we all remember Annie Power falling in the mares race mm. um, before she went on to the champion hurdle. So they've been tried against Phillies first and then they find they can defeat all the Phillies. They try and mm. say, I wonder if I can defeat the Geldings. I never hear any saying we shouldn't allow fillies in the in the in the derby there is the oaks but they're actually allowed to run in the derby yeah. and they're allowed to run in the arc de triomphe and we all remember the, the greater naval um doing a great things there kate verdi i think was the last fully to <laughs> might not be the last philly to run in the derby the last high profile one anyway 98 i think it was um, um, but for, there's no reason why they shouldn't um, I want to I want to dial it back to to Aintree, and particularly the the chocolate and orange silks around Aintree, um, you know, com, uh, culminating gloriously in in last weekend's events. Did that love affair begin for the Whaley Cohen family with you in the Fox Hunters in '77? I think every every child is highly influenced by the thwarted ambition of the parent. Um, and yes, I longed to do well at, at Aintree. I managed to ride there three times. I managed to fall off at Beecher's Brook one year. Uh, and there's a great photograph of, of, of Peter Greenall and me going over Beecher's, which was in, uh, uh, taken from, of course, the most advantageous <laughs> angle. So it looks absolutely towering fence. Uh, and it was pretty big in 77. It was a, little, it was a couple of years after, but it, it at least had a sign written up next to it saying Beecher's Brook, so there's no yeah. doubt which fence it was. Uh, I have to say, we, I think we were last and second last, but that's <laughs> by the by. It was a very good photograph. Um, and um, we, we, I, I think I've always thought that was the absolute pinnacle of everything you could achieve. I, and all our year has been geared around winning at the festival and winning at Aintree and everything else... Um, uh, it's been slightly incidental. So was that a very strong motif, a very strong background against which Sam was growing up? Absolutely. We always wanted to get there. I was lucky enough to have uh, um, two festival winners um, before Sam was riding. After mm -hmm. I, I mean, I was not in the same league as Sam. R Russell was. I had Russell in Russell, 89 yeah. and uh, Caterina in 99. But we also won uh, a top and we won't be gone long with Richard Dunwoody on board. So, That's right. Uh, a very, very long time ago. And he was the horse and jockey that got caught up with the tape in the non-event yeah. of, of, of whichever year it was, 1993. Um, so we've been trying for a very, very long time. Yes, I, I think you can still hear the muffled cries of Keith Brown going, the tape's round the jockey's <laughs> neck! And that was um, 
That was Richard Dunwoody, wasn't it? That was Richard Dunwoody. I have to say, I got terrible flu that day because uh, it was slightly drizzling, and I rushed down to the start to see what was going to happen. And I knew Richard had really struggled to do light. And I thought, actually, as a good preparation for a race, standing in the drizzle while they decide whether they're going to run it again is not good. So I took off my overcoat, gave it to him, I got flu, and they didn't run the race again. <laughs> and of course, you made uh, winning races around the national fences with a former Triumph Hurdle winner fashionable before anyone had heard of Tiger Roll, before Tiger Roll was a twinkle in authorised eye. Uh, well, <laughs> yes, that's a nice way of expressing it. Well, Caterina was uh, a, a very unusual horse. I only got to buy him because uh, it was one of Anthony Bromley's very earliest commissions to buy a really nice chaser from France. Uh, and when it arrived at Henderson's yard, they, everyone said, that's too small, never make a chaser. Uh, and I was down there because I had another filly I, uh, with him called Mukunji, mm -hmm. uh, also a French filly. Uh, and I, with the long and the short of it, I went down there several times over a period of two or three months, and Nicky hadn't sold it and hadn't sold it. And uh, his head lad, Corky Brown, said, you ought to really buy that one. It's, it really jumps well. Um, and we were lucky enough to win the Triumph Hurdle. And uh, actually, they went to Punchstown and won the Grade 1. And my slight dismay, considerable dismay, I think, we took him to uh, France to try and scoop all the Grade 1s for four-year-old hurdlers. Uh, and at that moment, the French had a, a program where you got penalties if you won a Grade 1. So mm -hmm. he actually had to give three pounds and finish second with Mick Fitzgerald on board. So all, all who won, who won, the, who was also on board when he won the previous two race races, um, but then he had all kinds of issues. I mean, leg issues, breathing issues, all kinds of issues. He did win a, a listed uh, chase, his first chase at Newbury on on uh, those days Hennessy Gold Cup. Um, we retired him. We retired him, and we took him off to uh, my daughter tried eventing him, which he didn't really didn't really love. Um, so I just had said, well, I just well, let's use him as a lead horse and. It all went rather well, and we won two point points. And then we said, right, we're qualified for entry. Let's let's go, give it a go. Um, uh, and actually, he, and, and he bolted up. He bolted up uh, for two years in a row. Actually, he was very fragile. We only ran him uh, over over uh, an extended period in six races, uh, and three of which were the were the, uh, were the fox hunters, and he won. Two. In fact, the second one he won without no intervening race because we couldn't get him onto a race course until the second fox hunters. Mm -hmm. and, and, and Katie uh, Maul, as she was there, and Katie Humphrey, as she is now, did an amazing job getting him ready for that second run. Uh, and then we had to skip the next year because he got injured again, uh, running only one point to point. And so he went back again, having not run another race, and came second. So he was absolutely the most enormous fun. And Sam had gone to Aintree two years earlier on a, on a really good jumper called Down who we agreed had no chance, but I said, it has such a reputation, this course, you need to go there when it, there's no pressure, and you can just jump round and find, get, lay that bug bear to rest. I, I remember seeing Down win the men's open at Upton on seven once, but that's not a story that anybody <laughs> particularly wants to hear. He won, he was, won, the, to he hear won today. the Welsh point-to-point -point Grand National three Did times he? against a certain Evan Williams, who See, was riding in those days. Your, your, your history in this sport is woven <laughs> so deep, it really is. Um, did you immediately think, hang on a minute, this boy's got something around these fences? He, uh, no. he, know, he knows what he's doing around here, or did you just think he's he, lucky he's on a good he, horse? He, 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 he always had a really, he's a really good horseman, he always had a really good feel for it. Uh, and of course, the more you practice, the better you get. Mm. Uh, and he's ridden around there a lot. He has, but still, the record is ridiculous. It's seven from just under 40. Uh, yes, 
fantastic. We've been so, so lucky because you not only you need Lady Luck on your side because there's a lot of uh, issues that go on. But uh, and, and Sam once asked what to what he attributed his success there, and he said it comes to riding in point to points where jockey, horses don't always do what uh, they would do if ridden by a pro because the amateurs don't always persuade them to do what perhaps you ought to. So you're actually riding every horse in the race, which means you're watching everything that's going on. You're not just concentrating on yours, you're concentrating on all the other horses, and maybe that helps riding round Angel. Uh, so a sort of heightened awareness of the chaos factor. Correct. It's quite interesting, isn't it? I mean, the one thing we know from speaking to Sam for two decades is that he is a very bright guy. I mean, that clearly is a massive part of it. I, I, it certainly helps. Um, this is Oscar time winning the Beecher Chase, and um, he was runner-up in the Grand National Oscar time. So as time has worn on and as he's approached 40, time has, has clearly been running out somewhat to find him the mount to, to win the National on. I mean, you've nearly had it a couple of times, particularly with, with that horse there. How... How on earth did you pick out Noble Yates as the likely one? Well, we were, it sounds a strange story. We took a homebred horse to run in a hunter chase at, uh, at Weatherby uh, on the same day that he was running. I have to say that the homebred horse didn't run very well and actually fluffed his chances to go to the fox hunters at Cheltenham, which was a great plan. Uh, and they were thinking, well, actually, we've got Jet that we could qualify and go yeah. to the fox hunters uh, at Cheltenham. Uh, and Noble Yates ran that day um, behind, and we were saying, we don't want that Irish horse to go and beat the English horse. There's only four runners. Emmett's brought it over. He's a very shrewd person. I'm sure he brought it over for a good reason. Anyhow, he finished second to a Hoy Senior, which we now realise was actually really good form. Yes, and two good horses behind him as well. Two good horses who who ran incredibly well uh, subsequently. Uh, And then there was an article in the the paper saying that was his sixth race. He's now qualified. Having been into the National, he's now qualified for the National. Uh, and Anthony Bromley uh, and, and, and David Minton of High Flyer Bloodstock both said, uh, you're always on the lookout for a horse to the national. Here's a seven-year-old rate 147, so he's almost sure of a run that could be bought. Mm. Uh, so are you up for it? And with your experience, were you thinking seven-year-old, interesting form figures, but still only a novice chaser? Did you think, well, this is a little bit of a, a shot in the dark? Uh, yeah, yeah. There's always that element to it, and then there was a, the vetting wasn't 100% clear either, so full marks to the vet, who actually said, on balance, I think you should go for it, but you might, it's not absolutely 100% clean sheet. Um, and, uh, but that's, it's always easier to fail than to, to, to say, go for this, isn't it? Mm-hmm. I mean, they, so he was brave from that point of view. Uh, and um, I think I sort of sat there thinking, Jet's raised 147, he gave Sam a fabulous spin last year, but he's 11 years old, and he's probably slightly on the downgrade. This is a 147-rated seven-year-old who's on the upgrade, mm. trained by a very shrewd man who's, made, who's clearly got this path in his mind. And he stays with him, and he stays as yours now, but with Absolutely. no Sam riding him. How will that feel when you go back next year, God willing, totally he gets different. <laughs> Totally different. It'll be a different experience altogether. Um, I suppose it'll be enjoyable in a different way, will it? It'll it'll be hugely enjoyable, totally different way. I have to say, we did make an awful lot of noise when we thought we were, Sam was going to win it on his very last ever ride. Um, so much so, the people who were uh, up on the fifth floor, who were sitting below us, were also turning around and saying, what is going on? This noise is unbelievable. As we draw to a close, Robert, do you feel that the commitment to this sport from the, the Whaley-Cohen family will, will live long into the next and subsequent generations? Do you feel this is now 
laid a platform for, for this to be part of your family's life forever and ever? Well, that, that's a long time. Um, but I think we, we, I certainly intend to keep going. I had horses when I wanted to ride them. I had horses when I stopped riding them before Sam started. I expect I shall have horses now Sam stopped. Uh, and I think Sam's wife, uh, Bella, absolutely loves it. So I suspect she will urge Sam to have horses as well. Right. So, yes, I expect it to go on for a long time yet. You've now just got to see the grandchildren riding in those chocolate and orange colours around the Grand National. I hope I live that long. Then the circle is... <laughs> then the circle is, is complete. Um, if you had one overriding wish for the sport itself, what would it be? Oh, my goodness me. I don't think I've given sufficient thought to that. Um, I, 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 what it badly needs, is, 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 or more, needs more than anything else, is, is, is the public to realise what a, what a huge excitement it is. And people sometimes occasionally say to me, um, why do you do it? It's expensive, it's mostly disappointments and uh, occasional great highlights. And I said, now you're a very experienced and wealthy man who's seen a lot of the world. Uh, what makes you jump up and down for five minutes screaming your head off? And the answer is nothing. So I said, that's why I do it.